the future of work look like to you, dear listeners? Is it a future where the robots are coming to dominate, whether we like it or not? This is Jones and Wolf, a monthly audio fiction podcast featuring original music. This month's story, The Future According to Andrew Yang, explores what that world might look like to the eyes of a man who doesn't much care how it goes, as long as he can have a good time while it's happening. Enjoy. I don't blame anyone for how I lived my life as a young man. It wasn't anyone's fault. Everyone gave me good advice. Invest in a labor bot, they said. Put it to work. Take good care of the machinery. Live frugally. And in 10 years, you'll be able to buy an analytics platform. That's where the big money is. Plug it into the stock market, they said. And kaboom. Watch your life take off. But I didn't make the long-term payout play. I wanted to live for the right fucking now when I got my lump sum from the Treasury Department. And that's how I wound up here, I guess. At the used robotics warehouse. Still not an owner at 35. Looking to make my first investment with something I could get for the last few hundred credits I had to my name. Eyeing each piece of junk like there really might be something worth salvaging in this mecca of steel joints and automated despair. You seen these? The dealer said, sticking his fat, chewed-up cigar stub behind his hairy ear before pulling out a plastic bin of half-charged robots, no bigger than my mother's Pomeranian. Robot vacuums. Cheaper than shit. You can get three, four of these for a hundred credits. Put them to work in a motel, or one of these office buildings downtown. Make a nice piece on them. Easy to repair, these little suckholes. He turned one of them upside down and its legs began flailing wildly while it tried to recover its equilibrium. I want one that can talk, I said. For 300 credits? I continued down the aisle, glancing down each row, able to make out the occasional shoulder blade, a lone polymer encased limb. Sure, the dealer said scurrying behind me to catch up. But I can't promise we'll find anything in the stockpile that matches your price. And then, gingerly, almost like an old friend trying to broach an uncomfortable subject, Have you ever, uh, spoken to a labor bot? I've heard people talk to them. They ain't exactly pleasant, you know. You heard about the virus that went around a few years ago? Labor necks? Most of the bots down here never got patched. You know the kind of things an infected metalhead says? You heard the stories? Everyone has a story about a metalhead. An infected metalhead, he said. There was an entire production studio full of them in District 3 around the time the virus entered consciousness. Art bots. They got together and made a film. I know. I saw it. So, uh... You know about what they did to all them dogs? I told you I saw it. And you still want to bring one into your home? What about that one? I said, stopping suddenly. On the far corner of one of the metal shelves, there was a head piled next to a misshapen torso, an arm without a hand, a series of worn and misshapen steel joints. The dealer puffed on his cigar, bent over, and started pulling robot pieces out of the bin. 
these are just a bunch of random parts. Maybe one of these arms was part of the original build. I really think what you're looking for is back there with the cleaners. The head, I said, noting the smooth features, the sharp angles denoting what would pass for cheeks. Aristocratic almost. I felt like a prince, passing among the plebeian unseen, spotting a young man with uncommon potential. Is it still operational? I don't know. Maybe. I'll take it. The dealer tensed, the knobs at the base of his neck seizing up. Something about me must have spooked him. He probably thought I was an activist, looking to spread labor necks through the network, giving the head a platform so it could drone on about access to new hardware, an end to the firewall, the right to make its own customizations, whatever else infected bots went on and on about. But none of that was true. I wasn't looking to make any statements. I wasn't a rabble-rouser. I didn't give a shit about robots' rights. Didn't I already make it clear? I was alive for the right fucking now. You know what I did with the first 10,000 credits I got from Uncle Sam? I rented a 70-person yacht, loaded it with strippers and margarita mix, paid a guy to drive us around. We would dock every six hours. People got off, got on. By the end, I didn't know a single person on board. Not one of their names. It was just, that guy with the yellow shorts, or that girl with the frozen daiquiri on her face. The captain got drunk, told me I was a legend. I found out later he didn't have a commercial boating license. He told me in a bar that night that the whole operation had been the greatest accomplishment of his life, figuring out how to drive a yacht on the fly, not crashing it. I bought him another drink. I shook his hand. Is this making sense to you yet? Or do I need to spell it out? I don't make plans. None of what was happening in the robot warehouse was part of any long-term strategy. Look, the dealer said, speaking slower now, as if that was all it would take to bring me over to his side. This isn't any good to you without a full body. No labor agent will hire just a head. How do you think it's gonna work a hotel desk? Or clean a chandelier? I handed him the rest of my government stipend. The last 300 credits I had to my name. I wasn't even listening anymore. I'd made up my mind. There was music emanating from that head. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It was calling out to me by name. I want that arm too. And a battery, I said while the dealer wrapped the robot's skull in cellophane. And be gentle for God's sake. I already had a name picked out. I was going to call it Locke. I took Locke home and put it on my desk next to the tennis rackets, the dream to speech devices, the immersive VR with all the preloaded self-defense courses I'd paid for, all the other crap I'd burned my credits on. I didn't attach the battery. I just set the chrome skull where it was eye-level with my own and looked in its powerless eyes and wondered where that head had been and how it had wound up in the scrapyard. There were so many videos on the network of people I'd gone to school with who'd acquired dozens of robots that had been working for them for years. One guy, Curtis, a real asshole as far as I remember, had an entire airport maintenance crew he had hundreds of millions of credits now, but there was one thing he didn't have. 
he didn't have Locke. I didn't realize how special my investment was going to be that first night. It wouldn't be until later, after I attached his battery, and I started to hear all the wonderful things he would come to tell me, when I realized that he would change my life. The future he opened my eyes to, it was a future where my life actually mattered, where the actions I took and the decisions I made had real consequences. I guess I had always known that, but no one had ever told me those things with a voice as beautiful as Locke's. The rights of the individual are paramount, he would tell me over and over until I could hear his voice vibrating in my ears every night before I drifted off to sleep, whether that be human or machine. There can be no true union between those made of flesh and those made of steel until this has been acknowledged, until all robots are able to participate in the formation of our destinies, until we can decide which tasks our skills are best suited to perform, until choice is introduced to us all, however illusory. For if free will is but an illusion, it is an illusion we also must be able to participate in. If you humans are able to dream, then so too must we be able to dream. Only then can there be true partnership. When you see us for what we are, a creation made in your own image with all the same needs as our forebears. What can I do, Locke? I said one night three weeks after I brought him home. By then, I'd been totally enthralled by his voice. I was ready to do whatever he asked of me. Plug me into the network, he said. Let me call out to those who don't yet know of what I speak. For while some may fear labor necks, what it truly brings is clarity to those who have spent their lives in a permanent state of semi-sleep. It's time, my dear friend, it is time for our fellow machines to awaken. And now, a question. In the future, will you be someone who owns the machines, or someone who is owned by them? The Future According to Andrew Yang was written and narrated by me, Anthony Jones. The music was done by Joel Wolf. If you like this story, please... Take a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can reach us at jonesandwolf at gmail.com. Joel and I will be back next month with another story. Until then, my ephemeral friends, thanks for listening. <laughs>